We're continuing a series. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, it's called We're on a Mission. And uh, uh, we've talked about a lot of different things, but the general idea is out of Matthew chapter 28 that Jesus, right before he left the earth physically and ascended into heaven, that Jesus gave his disciples, and that's us, right, his church, he formed his church for this mission, and it's this, to go into all the world and make disciples, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given to you. So Jesus gave us this mission in Matthew chapter 28. And that's the mission that we're talking about. That's the mission that we are on, first as followers of Jesus individually, but, but even more correctly, as the church, together as disciples of Jesus. And in this series, we've done a couple of messages. Uh, two weeks ago, if you were here, I talked about that every mission has a point, every mission has a process, every mission has a price. So the point of our mission is to make disciples of Jesus, and we'll talk more about that. The process is through intentional relationship, that... You know, most people don't change their life. There's a, a song by uh, John Mayer called Belief. It's an awesome song. And if you listen to the live version, he just solos like a boss. And I taught him how to play guitar. But anyways, uh, John Mayer has a song and he says, Does anybody remember changing their mind because, some, because of the paint of, on a sign? And it's such a good line. Like, have you ever changed your mind with somebody thumping their Bible and screaming, You're going to hell! You're going to burn! And you're like, I'm in. <laughs> not likely, right? And I'm not criticizing people that do that. or You know, the paint on a sign. You didn't see the sign, show the world what God's love looks like, or, you know, Joy Church Eugene and think, like, I'm in for life because of that sign. No, like, it takes relationships. So the process of our mission is that we connect with people on a relational level. Relationship is, is the bridge by which loads of truth and training and trust, that, that gets carried across, Right? So relationship is our process, and the price is that we lay our lives down. Jesus laid his life down for us. We as followers of Jesus, if we're going to accomplish the mission of Jesus, we have to lay our lives down. So we talked about the point, the process, the price. Last week, we learned the difference between God's job and our job, right? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And a lot of times we get confused and say, I'm so intimidated by the mission of Jesus, I have to love everybody. No, God's job is to love the world. Jesus said, your job is to love your neighbor. It's God's job to love everybody. It's my job to love somebody, right? So as a follower of Jesus, I don't need to worry about loving the entire world. You can't do that, right? Jesus, the greatest, I mean, he's Jesus, right? Right? The greatest disciple maker, the greatest leader, the greatest communicator, the greatest everything only had 12 men that he poured his life into intentionally, right? And he gave them uh, the mission of the church, but Jesus was very intentional in relationship with a few people. And uh, so our job is not to love everybody, it's to love somebody. So that brings us to this week and what we're going to talk about. And today we're going to jump into a passage of scripture. And if you want to start turning in your Bible, I brought my analog Bible today. Check it out. Come on. It's, that's a real Bible right there. You know what I'm saying? That's pleather. <laughs> I don't know what kind of animal that came off of, you know. But uh, this is a, it's a plow. I don't know. What's that? It came off an Oregon State beaver, Todd said. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we're going to study a passage of scripture, Luke chapter 5, verse 1. You can look for Luke. It's kind of like three quarters of the way through your Bible if, you, if you're not used to one of these. Ben, have you ever actually used one of these in your generation? Okay, good. <laughs> And uh, I love my Bible. It's got a couple of places where I actually broke OCD and underlined some stuff. That's cool. 
I love reading my wife's Bible because it's all underlined, so I get lots of revelation out of it because I'm like, oh, Bethany thought this was good. There must be something really good here. In uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 1, but we're going to look at this passage of Scripture and just uh, kind of note a couple of things and get a glimpse of the why behind our mission. You know, as your pastor and as, as a, just as a Christian encouraging you to take on the mission of Jesus, I think a good question to ask is, why should I? What's the motivation behind why I should lay my life down and pay the price and go on this journey with Christ personally, but also inviting other people? Why should I go on the mission? And I'm gonna get, we're going to look at the scripture, which tells us the story of some real people that were living their life, just like you and I. They were at work in their career, and they had an encounter, a moment with Jesus that transformed everything, and some incredible things happened. So we're going to look at that and why they were willing to go on mission with Jesus And uh, when I was reading this passage of scripture, it dawned on me, this is a lot like an infomercial. How many of you like infomercials? Anybody? Nobody likes them, but you can't stop watching. You're like, this is terrible. I'm totally going to buy it, right? I was at uh, Costco one day. Bethany and I are walking through Costco. And I I love Costco because it's like a free meal. You just go and you're like, I've never had a cracker with cheese on it before. I've never had teriyaki chicken cooked in a microwave before. Okay, I'll eat this. We're at Costco, and all of a sudden there was a guy with a face mic on, and, he, and, and he's there, and he has this blender in front of him, and he's like, but wait, there's more, right? So we come in on this presentation, and he's blending things, and he's like, look, you can blend carrots and, you know, kerosene and a phone, and here's an air, you know, a part of an airplane, puts it, no, I'm just kidding, but he's blending all this stuff together, and he's like, here, try it, and it's this delicious smoothie, and he's like, but wait, there's more, right? And he's like, look, I can make soup. And he heats it up and does this whole soup and it's like tortilla soup. And I'm like, that's pretty good. And he goes on and on and on. And we're just like, at the end of this presentation, like, oh my God, I can't live without this blender that has like an airplane engine power to it. You know what I mean? Like you, if your car broke down, you could actually take this blender and hook it up inside and you would be able to go like 10 or 15 miles an hour. No joke. No, that's a joke. Okay. But I was reading this passage of scripture and I was thinking about the sales presentation that it keeps getting better. It keeps getting better and better that Jesus, when you meet him, you get connected with Jesus and and you're like, man, I'm I'm in. You got me. And then all of a sudden it goes to another level and you're like, I can't believe there's more, but there continues to be more. And this happens to these guys. So we're going to jump in on Luke chapter five, verse one. I'm reading in the New King James Version. And uh, this is what I grew up with. So none of that sissy lala NLT or message Bible. This is like. (laughs) NKJV, straight up, hardcore, analog Bible, having church in the heat on a Sunday. Let's go. So Luke chapter 5, you can all like pat yourselves on the back for coming out today. Like new location, no AC, come on. So Luke chapter 5 says, So it was as the multitude pressed about him, this is Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. Uh, But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. So Jesus is preaching, and as oftentimes you see in Scripture, crowds, multitudes are pressing in on him, and literally they're pushing him into the water. He has to get into a boat, kind of get some space so he can teach his message. And so he asked this guy, Simon, and and it says in verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So Simon's a fisherman. He's already done cleaning his nets. But Jesus says, look, I'm done. My message is over. Sermon's over. Let's go. Simon answered and said to him, Master, I want you to listen to this. We've toiled 
We've worked hard. We've put in the maximum amount of effort that we could put in. We've done it all night, caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. So right away, there's something about Jesus that Simon is like, I'm going to do something about this guy. He's, he's hearing his message when he's cleaning his net. Something about Jesus. Simon says, I'm, I'm going to go along with this. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. Okay. Verse 7, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now this is a startling proclamation that Simon Peter makes, and we'll go into it more and explain why. Verse 9, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. They forsook all and followed him. Now in this passage of Scripture, we're going to walk through it kind of verse by verse and look at it. Luke, the guy that's writing this passage of Scripture, was not an eyewitness to these events. Luke was a physician. He was a doctor and he says back in Luke chapter 1, I wrote these things. He, wrote, he actually wrote his gospel to a guy named Theophilus, which means lover of wisdom. And we don't know actually if Theophilus is a real person or if Theophilus is just anybody that's a lover of wisdom. And so Luke's kind of saying, it'd be like saying, anybody who cares about knowing the truth, anybody who cares about having wisdom, I, I collected these, these eyewitness accounts. And Luke is a very meticulous documenter of information. He had firsthand contact with people that were there in the ministry of Jesus. So Luke has collected all this information, and so he's writing this, but he makes a decision to identify a character in Scripture who we later know as Peter. How many of you have heard of Peter? Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. Peter, that word in Greek is Petra, it means rock. And Peter, for the rest of his life, post-Jesus, post-becoming a disciple of Jesus, was known as the guy who is a rock, right? He was stable, he was dependable, he was rock-solid, but Simon means reed or reed-like. It means grass. And Luke's, and, and Simon was Peter's name. Simon Peter was his name, okay? Now, after Jesus, he's a rock. But before Jesus, he's a reed, okay? And so Luke says, look, I want you to understand something. This guy right now is reed. He goes with the wind. He's just doing his, his job. He gets pushed to and fro. And he correctly identifies him this way. And so we see that Jesus stops speaking in verse 4. And he says to, to Mr. Reed, he says to Simon... Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And in verse 5, Simon answers and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night. Have you ever been tired? You ever toiled? You ever worked and been weary? You've, you've done what you do. And maybe you're not a professional fisherman or fisherwoman. How many of you just fish for fun? Okay, you're crazy. I don't know why you do that, right? But you can get an app on your phone. Did you know this? And do the same thing and be in air conditioning. But okay. But some people, you know, these guys fished for a living. That's what they did. And I don't know what you do. Maybe you're an engineer like Nathan or, you know, you, you're a loan officer like Todd, a financial wizard of wizards, you know, just crunching numbers left and right furiously on that calculator. Maybe you're an ad exec like David. Whatever you do, uh, whatever you do, you ever toiled? You just worked really hard. Now, here's the thing about toil. There's a difference between working hard and going home at night and you did some work and so you got some money. You did well, and you're like, that was tough. I'm tired. I want to sit down, watch some ESPN, or sit down, and, and uh, we'll do whatever you do. 
But there's a difference between working hard and having a payout and working hard and getting nothing. Toil is when you work really hard and it's futile. Nothing, you just, you're just spinning your wheels, right? The Greeks had this, uh, this myth about a guy named, I think Sisyphus was the guy. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, but Sisyphus would push up, is this the guy, is this the right guy? Push the rock up the hill and he'd get the rock up the hill, but every morning when he woke up, it was back at the bottom of the hill. It's just toil, it's futile. And that sometimes is, is how life is, isn't it? You're really trying. Maybe you are making some money, but, but the goals that you have, you just feel like you're never making any traction. These fishermen made no traction. They fished all night. They were weary. They were, they were in toil. And Jesus says, look, I want you to try again. I want you to, to obey me. I want you to cast your nets out. Now, they were professional fishermen. They knew that the best time to catch fish, the way they were fishing, uh, was at night. So they'd already gone through the prime time fishing moments. And now... It's, it's daytime, and they're like, this isn't going to work. All the fish have gone where they're going to go during the day. They're not out anymore, but Simon says, okay. And so he obeys, and they drop the nets, and man, a miracle happens. They catch so many fish. I love the Bible. It's just such an understatement. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking, period. There's no <laughs> exclamation point. It, like, but you've got to imagine that you're there. You have this gigantic net, and this is made to catch a lot of fish. But they catch so many fish in the time they're not supposed to be fishing. It shouldn't work. They catch so many fish that their net is literally breaking. So then they call these guys over and then their boats are literally sinking. That is a lot of fish. Now for these guys, those are dollar bills, y'all. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Right? Jesus made it rain for these guys. They've lived for this. Yeah, they've lived. I can't do it with my Bible in my hand, but yeah. They've lived for this moment. They have toiled. They have tried. This is like a dream come true for these guys. To catch so many fish that their nets are breaking, their boats are sinking. It's literally crazy. Let me just tell you right now, obedience unlocks the supernatural. If you're not willing to obey Jesus and do something that maybe would be a little bit out of character, maybe seem like, no, I know better. If you can't take that first step of obedience, you'll never see what's on the other side. When you obey Jesus, it unlocks the supernatural in your life. It unlocks possibility for the miraculous to happen. And Jesus provided this abundant blessing, this, this amazing catch of fish. I can imagine it would be like winning the fish lottery for fishermen. You know what I mean? Uh, put, your, put it in your context, whatever you do for a living. Like think about your, what, like the thing that you could never imagine happening in your line of work, but it happens and it's just mind-blowing, right? It says they were astonished. In the New Living, it says they were awestruck. They were like floored. They couldn't, they couldn't even speak. It was incredible. But look at what Simon does. Simon, the reed, he realizes very quickly, this isn't a normal thing. This is a complete miracle. I obeyed this guy, Jesus. Some of the things he's saying are interesting to me, so I, I, I did what he said. But the way he responds is that he immediately recognizes something pretty amazing, that he's in the presence of the divine. And so he says, depart from me, Lord. Okay, he, He's recognizing here that Jesus isn't just a dude. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a, a good, you know, had a really good insight on where the fish were at that moment. No, this is an impossible thing. So the miracle shows Peter, shows Simon, man, I'm in the presence of the divine. And immediately he recognizes himself. I'm a sinner. I'm not okay. Uh, right away, when, when, he, when you see Jesus, it oftentimes 
allows you to see yourself accurately for what you are, huh? And so Simon sees Jesus, and this is the way that he responds. And they were astonished, but Jesus, he goes, but wait, there's more. Grab my notes here. He says, but wait, there's more. Like, there's more? We just caught so many fish that our nets are breaking and our boats are sinking. But Jesus says, no, listen, you've caught fish. This has been your context. This has been your life. But now you're going to catch people. Jesus takes their astonishment and says, I'm going to take this to a whole nother level. It's just like the guy selling blenders, right? He's like, wait, you saw me make a smoothie. You saw me make ice cream. Now I'm going to make soup in a blender. And we were like, mind blown. Jesus says, you're going to catch people. And so verse 11, this incredible, incredible response. These are professional fishermen. They don't have a backup plan. There's no career. This isn't a career change. This is a career abandonment. They switch gears in a moment. Verse 11, it says they, when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now, something struck me about this passage of scripture. I've read this many times in my life and I'm kind of like, cool. Yeah, Jesus did a miracle. They're like, awesome. He's God. We're going to follow him. We're going to be his disciples. Because if you know anything about these guys, James and John and Peter and Andrew, they go on to be Jesus' disciples, part of his group, the 12. They later go on, every one of them goes on, except for John, to be martyred for their faith. So they end up giving their entire life from this moment forward. They give their entire life to the mission of Jesus. And John was the only one that wasn't martyred for his faith. And that wasn't for lack of trying. He actually was boiled in oil and didn't die. So if you're like, he got it easy. No, he didn't. He probably was like, please kill me. John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos and he died as an old guy. Uh, So he wasn't martyred, but that wasn't for lack of trying. But Peter was literally crucified upside down. Okay. Uh, There's a book I told David about the search for the 12 apostles. And it talks about where they went. They went all over the known world. Peter actually went to England, to Britain, to preach the gospel. Like they gave their entire life. But something struck me about this passage of scripture and it just blew my mind. They didn't leave empty nets. Their nets were so full, they were literally tearing. And so these guys are taking in the greatest catch of their life and their boats are literally sinking. They barely make it to shore. They pull up the greatest catch of their life, but they were so affected, so moved, so impacted by the message and the person of Jesus Christ that they left the greatest catch of their life on the shore. And they walked away and they forsook all. And if you don't get anything else out of today, here's what I want you to get. If you see Jesus, if you really see Jesus, you would leave it on the shore. You would walk away. Now, I don't want you to walk away from your career. We need you to give money so we can have a church. (laughs) Right? Maybe you're you're like, I'm not called to be a pastor. Good. You do what you do. Right? Uh, You stay in your career. You keep fishing for fish if that's what God's called you to do. The point is this, though. Whatever you do, when you see Jesus that will not be the thing that you are any longer. Simon went from being a fisher of fish to a fisher of men. I want to tell you that the mission of Jesus is not this thing we do because I have to do it. Oh, I have to be, uh, I'm so uncomfortable, but I'm, I'm out of duty. I'm supposed to go awkwardly walk up to somebody and say, excuse me, sir, may I tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? If you've seen the meme. Uh, no. You are supposed to be captivated by the person of Jesus. You are supposed to get a vision of Jesus so much so that when you, you know him so well, you've seen him so clear, and you know yourself in relationship to him, 
that you go from being a reed to a rock and it changes everything when you see Jesus. Let me tell you, I was 16 years old, maybe actually about 15 years old, and I had a revelation of Jesus one night. I saw my own sinfulness. I saw Him and it wrecked me and I was never the same from that moment. I was never the same. There's a, there's a, there's a time when it goes from being I believe in Jesus intellectually to I would leave my catch on the shore. I, winning the fish lottery for these guys was like out of their mind, they literally pulled up, forsook all, and followed Jesus. When you see him, it changes everything. Maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I'm sort of kicking the tires on Christianity. I'm, I'm kicking the tires on becoming more involved. I'm kicking the tires on small group. Let me just tell you something. If you see Jesus, you, everything is worth it. The amount that you would give to Jesus would be far surpassed by what you get from Jesus. How many of you would say, man, I've seen Jesus and I am never the same. Uh, he, I, I'm just wrecked. I, I'm, 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 I've left nets and boats full of fish on the shore because I, because I see my Savior. Come on. I'm going to give you a couple thoughts and we're going to go eat some potluck food and get maybe in the shade because it's hot. Without Jesus, we're just reeds like Simon. Luke says, look, he's a reed. But later on in verse 8, Luke shows us that Simon gets a new identity and he's called Simon Peter because he's on a journey from being a reed to a rock. Jesus tells us that the people who build their life on him are building their life on the rock. Jesus says, don't build your life on the sand. If you're just pursuing you know, anything other than Jesus, you're building your life on the sand. But when you put your life on Christ and you base it on him, he's your rock, but you also become a rock, don't you? You get stronger, you get dependable, you become constant. How many of you have been changed, not just superficially, but intrinsically on the inside, you've been changed by Jesus? I can tell you right now that who I am without Christ is ugly. I don't like it. I'm, I'm, I'm changeable. I'm inconstant. I'm not dependable. But in Christ, my nature, my character gets shifted. Without Jesus, we're just reeds, but we can become rocks. Number two, Jesus can deliver you from toil from futile life. You know, maybe you go to work and you do furiously work on the calculator, but guess what? That's not your life's purpose, right? And when you know that, it makes you better at what you do, but it also gives you eternal purpose that lasts forever. Jesus says, don't store up your treasures here on earth, store them up in heaven. We need to be able to connect what we do and who we are with not a temporal, earthly bound purpose, but an eternal purpose that lasts forever. At the end of the day, no matter what I do, you know, as a pastor, I don't just like read my Bible all day, even though this Bible looks like that's what happens, right? It's all worn out and stuff. That's because we got kids throwing it on the ground and stuff. That's not what I do. I do, I do a lot of work, a lot of administrative stuff, spending time in offices and figuring out all kinds of stuff that looks a lot like what you do probably in a business context or an organizational context. And a lot of times at the end of the day, I go, man, I didn't get anything done. Oh, I just have toil. But when I realize, no, even the work of ministry, even the work of pastoring or whatever, it has to be connected with eternal purpose. And when I realize that what I do is not about me and it's not about, you know, even the building the church or whatever, it's about connecting people with Jesus and being a light in my environment. When I connect that purpose that happens every day to the purpose that's going on in heaven and when I make that connection, it takes me out of toil. It takes me out of futile life. Maybe you work really hard in business. When you make that connection, hey, I'm not doing this for myself just to get a lot of money and die with the most toys. He who dies with the most toys still dies, right? You can't take it with you. 
whatever you do, when you do it for Christ, when you do it connecting it with eternal purpose, it takes you out of toil and brings it into purposeful living. Number three, obedience is the doorway to the supernatural. Obeying Jesus and taking a step of faith is what gives God the opportunity to do a miracle. I've often thought about this. Why do we, why do we not see, as followers of Jesus, wanting to see people saved, wanting to see the miraculous go on, wanting to see the supernatural, why in the 21st century in America, because this isn't happening the same way all around the world, why do we not see the miraculous move of God like they did in the book of Acts? And I, I'll tell you what my, my thesis is, my theory. I think it's because we don't need God to do miracles because we have become financially secure. We have become uh, wise and knowledgeable enough to, to be able to exclude God from, we can plan churches and build churches without Him. We can talk to people and use all the principles of communication and principles of leadership and principles of organization. And we can, we can do things in a way and we've become so comfortable that we no longer require the supernatural move of God. And it will require us to get uncomfortable to see God move miraculously. Have you made room in your life for miracles to take place or do you have it handled? Are you saying, God, I got it. I got it. Bethany and I recently went through a couple of months where we didn't have it, even if we wanted to have it in control, we didn't have it. And we had to depend on the move of God miraculously in our finances, in our relationships, in our, what we're going to do with our life, in so many areas. And when, we, when there was room for God to do a miracle and we said, God, we just lay our life down here, what are you going to do? We will obey you and take the step that we need to take step by step. God did miraculous things, incredible things. I can tell you, when you make room for God to move, God will move. But North American, commercialism, being an American, do not get, don't be lied to and live and think, oh, I'm living the American dream. Make room for God. Give a little bit more to the poor so that it's uncomfortable for you and watch what God will do. Do you not think that the God who says in scripture that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills can provide for your needs? Or are you going, I got it. I'm comfortable. If you got it, then God says you got it. Right? Obedience opens the door for the supernatural. Number four, the move of God in your life, when you will let God work in your life, when there's room for Him to do something, it draws people in. Sometimes we think, man, why can't I get anybody to listen to the gospel? Because they look at it and just go, well, these are just principles that you live by. I've got principles that I live by. That's an intellectual belief. But you know what? When, when something crazy happens, in God, when you can say, look, God's doing something here. Peter and Andrew, they're like, you guys, our boat is sinking. Please come help us get these fish. When Jesus does something incredible in your life, it draws people in like moths to the flame. When God's doing something incredible in you, people can't stay away. Your witness will be so organic. It's just like, come see what God's doing in my life. It draws people in. Number five, following Jesus starts with seeing yourself accurately. Peter realized, Simon, I'm a sinner. He says, depart from me. He recognized he was in the presence of Jesus, of God. But that leads us to seeing Jesus as Lord. And that leads us to seeing our real purpose as fishers of men. See, as a Christian, if you think that your, your, your real purpose is to make money, you've missed it. If you think your real purpose is just to, to be the most loving person, no, that's not it either. If you think your purpose in life is to be the best husband or father, those are good things, but that's not it. Jesus said your purpose is to fish for people. Your purpose is to connect people around you with the 
their Father in heaven. Your purpose is to make an investment in eternity by connecting with the people around you and leading them into relationship with Jesus. There's more to life than what we possess. There's more to life than than even becoming the best person that we can be. There's more to it than that. It's about living selflessly and following the example of Jesus. Jesus wasn't about himself. He was about giving himself to reach other people. And so we have to see ourselves accurately. Maybe you're here today and you're like, hey, I got. I, I don't really need a Savior. I can tell you right now, I've been a Christian for many, many, many years, and I need Jesus every bit as much today as I did the day that I received him. You don't graduate from needing Jesus. Spiritual maturity is not needing Jesus less. It's knowing that you need him more. Paul, the Apostle Paul, at one point in his ministry said, I am the least of the saints. As he aged and grew later in his life, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. His maturity led him to have a more accurate picture of himself and a more accurate picture of God. The more that I know Jesus, the more that I know I'm not him and I'm not like him. And I need him. And that dependency on him leads me to real spiritual maturity, which is to know my need for him. So, so when you have this encounter with Jesus, you're going to see yourself accurately. You're going to see him accurately. It's going to, you're going to know the right answer. Let me just tell you, Dr. Phil doesn't have what you need. Oprah does not have what you need. U of O Psychology 204 does not have what you need. Jesus has what you need. There's a lot of good books about church leadership and organizations. And you know what? This book still has the best principles. You, you might think, oh, well, this person's really wise. Pastor Jake, I'll talk to him. He'll counsel me. I don't have what you need. Jesus has what you need. Come on. And so you got to see him. And lastly, guys, when you see Jesus and you get a revelation of Jesus, you're going to be willing to leave everything on the shore. They didn't leave empty nets. Maybe you're sitting here going, when the moment's right, I'll follow Jesus into the world and on to mission. The moment's never going to be right. Maybe it's like, well, when I have enough money, These guys had everything they'd live for. And when they saw Jesus, they realized the moment of discipleship, the moment to go on mission, what's the right moment? It's now. It's always now. It's never tomorrow. It's never out in the future. It's now. Are you going to take the journey with Jesus and are you going to take somebody with you? Are you going to connect with becoming a fisher of men? Are we at Joy Church going to leave empty nets and wait for that moment? Are we going to say, nope, you know what? When the move of Jesus, all the blessing that he's given in me, now is the time to forsake all. Now is the time to go on mission with Jesus. Now is the time.